Hello, and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Kate Wolf, editor-at-large for LARB, and I'm joined remotely today by my co-hosts, LARB's managing editor, Medea Ocher, and LARB's gender and sexuality editor, Eric Newman. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. (laughs) Hi, guys. And this week, we're speaking with the musician and now author, Big Frida, about her new memoir, God Save the Queen Diva. Yeah, I was very excited about this. I'm a huge Big Frida fan. I've seen her multiple times. We should say Big Frida is like a legendary bounce artist from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. She's featured on a lot of tracks. She probably blew up into the mainstream when she appeared on Beyonce's Formation but she's she's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. She's she's a twerk queen. She's a bounce queen. She is the queen diva. I started the show with Show and Tell by showing her an old T-shirt that I got with her name on it. <laughs> That's right. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh my god. And I was geeking out. She had her own TV show. There was a reality show about Big Frida that was great that people, folks should check out if they want just an introduction to, to her and her music. And then, yeah, as, as Medea is saying, she did a lot of high-profile collaborations. She most recently, I think, is doing a song with Kesha, which I think she talked about with us on the, on the conversation. But yeah, it is infectious, super highly charged party-forward music. Which also made it kind of very interesting to talk to Frida in the midst of a pandemic when like we can't be at the kind of clubs that made Frida famous and where her music kind of, I think, reaches its like truest audience. Just to show you like how up on current music I am or anything current, I I didn't um, actually know of Big Frida before you guys said you were going to interview her and I'm... I'm not on this interview, so I didn't have to embarrass myself, but I'm really excited to hear your conversation with her. Speaking of which, actually, since it is the end of the year, did you guys have any favorite songs from this year that helped you power through? Yeah, I really got into uh, this one cumbia that I happened to get on a compilation that I just bought from this record store uh, in my neighborhood. But I guess it's it's very famous. It's by Aniceto Molina, and it's called mm. Cumbia Saposana. And it really like just, I think that what I'm drawn to with the cumbia is that accordion. Like as long as the accordion is dominating, I'm really like (laughs) wanting to dance, which is like a strange feeling to just be every, you know, he gets on stage, he like loads up the accordion, he starts to play and that's when everyone goes crazy. And just to (laughs) see the accordion like take on this power for me, it feels so right, but it's not, um, you know, I feel like I usually see a guitar in that, in that spot, but it's Exactly. um, It's nice to see the accordion take center stage. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, that, that song is really like, I would listen to that real loud in my car many times. So that, what about you, Dea? So this is worth mentioning in the beginning of the pan. I'd never really listened to Nick Cave before. I don't know if you guys are Nick Cave fans, but it wasn't ever really quite my thing. But I somehow started listening to his latest album, which is called Ghost Teen. And it's about the death of his... 15-year-old son who passed away, I think, a couple of years ago. And there was something about diving into... This is going to bring it way down from the joy of Kate's recommendation, but there was something about diving into a person who was really dealing with grief that made... Some that you know, we were all alone in our houses. We didn't know what was going on. It kind of made the tragedy outside a, a bit more accessible to me in a way that, in a way that seemed important. And there are a few th- other 
cultural artifacts that I think access grief in the same way. Mm. But this one is really, it's really raw. I mean, it's this child. So anyway, I would really recommend it. The title of the album is called Ghostine and it's by the vampire Nick Cave. Wow. <laughs> He's sounds, not actually that a vampire. sounds very good, actually. Um, <laughs> it's really good. Mine was, I guess I should say there should be a caveat, which is that like reggaeton was playing in our apartment probably every day, multiple hours a day for all of 2020. So it's like I would be, you know, remiss in neglecting to mention all of the Bad Bunny songs and Jay Balvin songs and Nati Natasha songs that helped get me through this year um, and which were the constant backdrop to all of our work from home adventures. But definitely like, I mean, mine are more uplifting and dumber, I think, than your guys's are. But I had definitely went back because we were watching this Mexican soap opera called Casa de las Flores. I went back to a bunch of Gloria Trevi um, songs. So, and for those of you who don't, Kate, you know who she is. It's like Gloria Trevi was like a pop, oh, she's a pop star from Mexico. It's complicated. She got taken down for like a very weird crime thing, but it's more complicated than that. But she was a very popular pop singer. And yeah, she's got some great, uh, the ones that we were listening to a lot were Todos Me Miran, which is great. It's ve- it's like basically a song made for drag queens, I think, but which is most of what I love about Gloria Trevi. So it was a lot of that. And then um, also, I think the song that I listened to absolutely the most this year was um, St. John's Roses, which was great for everything um, from just going for a casual run to walking to the store to driving around to doing everything socially distanced. So those were the songs that helped get me through 2020. Nice. And to add to that, let's listen to this conversation with Big Frida. Let's do it. It is a special treat today to have Big Frida with us on the line. She really needs no introduction, but if you've been hiding under a rock for the past 10 years, Frida is the reigning queen of New Orleans bounce music, and she's known for bringing that underground scene to the national stage. She's done collaborations with artists including Beyonce, Kesha, and innumerable others. She joins us today to talk about her memoir, God Save the Queen Diva, which chronicles her life in the church her incredibly intimate and special relationship with her mother, and, of course, her relationship with Katie Red, her best friend, and all the fans. Frida, it is a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Your book starts with you talking about your childhood and you growing up, and I wanted you just to tell us a little bit about that. So what was it like when you were a kid? What was your family like, and where did you live, and what was that like? So I grew up in New Orleans on Josephine Street. And, you know, it was a fun place for me growing up here in the city, what I love so much. My mom was this mom who worked numerous amounts of hours. She was a hairdresser for 30 years. My stepdad, he drove 18-wheelers. So, you know, my life was always full of lots of fun and lots of joy and lots of people in and out of our lives. Growing up, I had to figure out who I was, who I was trying to be, where I was going, what direction I wanted to go into. And, you know, my mom was my biggest supporter. She was my biggest cheerleader. She had my back in everything that I wanted to do. When I decided to tell her I was gay, it was an early age. She said, mama already knew, baby. And that gave me a sense of relief. 
And once my mom accepted me, there was nobody else I needed in the world to accept me. You know, I felt like the person who born me hadn't accepted me so I can finally figure out who I want to be and where I'm going in life. And then my journey began. I continued to go to church. I continued to work in gospel music. I became the choir director at my church. I became the choir director at high school. I sung with many choirs around New Orleans. I traveled with the choir around the world. Then my life started to take another turn in 1998. Before we get there, tell me a little bit, because the story about how you get to church as a kid, how you get over there, is pretty interesting because it's not like you were raised in the church, but you for the church that you really joined and that you really fell responded to, fell yeah. in love with, you kind of ended up there by accident. I Can did. you tell us it, how that happened? Well, I went with a friend that stayed right across the street. And when I went, she invited me to church. And when I went to the church, the church was just so accepting and everybody loved me. And it was like, who is this? And immediately, one of the elders in the church who became my godmother, Georgia, she and I connected right away. And she was just so accepting to everybody that came into the church. So it wasn't just me. So whoever came in, they opened their arms really wide and accepted you and tried to get you involved in doing stuff and being a part. And it really felt like a family. So this was my safe haven. This was my outlet. You know, this was my other family away from my real family. And so I, when I felt accepted, I kept going back. And every time I went back, you know, something more interesting caught my attention. And then once the choir caught my attention, it was on from there. I got in the choir. I started singing. I started doing solos. Then Georgia was like, I see something in him. She sent me to vocal lessons and piano lessons. And I started to learn music and I wanted to learn how to be a gospel composer. I thought I was going to be a big gospel choir director or a gospel composer with songs and stuff. I didn't think that I would be doing what I'm doing today. So that's how that journey started. I actually wind up going to that church accidentally from just being invited. How do you see the connection between the kind of music and the, let's say, like the emotional experience of being in the choir, of performing in church. So how the sounds relate to... Exactly, yeah. Because they are kind of, it's all about community, right? And engagement. I get the same kind of reception that I get just as if I was at church. You know, in church, they're catching the Holy Spirit. They're feeling the emotions of the song. We flip it on the bounce side. They're catching the twerking spirit. You know, they're <laughs> calling and responding to the vocals that I'm giving out. Back then, I would direct the choir. I would open my hands. People would sing. Now, on the bounce side, I point my finger. People shaking their asses. So I'm still <laughs> directing in a sense. You know, I'm yeah. still choir director, just with a different type of music now. And it really feels good because I can connect with my audience and my fans, just like as if I was at church. And it is a good thing. It really feels good when you're on stage and you get that same type of energy. You know, because if I say big, y'all say freedom. I'm going to say big and the crowd going to say freedom. <laughs> so same kind of thing at church yeah. if I did it at church. So it is a really great feeling. Has that... I mean, I don't want to bring us down because that's one of the things, by the way, that I think both Day and I love so much about your music is how it brings you up. But how do you feel about, just as I'm hearing you talk about the experience of being in crowds, which is something I think we all miss so much right now. So kind of how has the pandemic 
impacted or just kind of where are you with it? Like your connection to people and audiences and that feeling you get from being with others. It feels really weird not being with a live audience, especially these virtual performances. You know, I love doing them because it still gives the fans a chance to connect with us and especially if they're in the room with us as we're performing. But these performances are really weird, you know, doing them virtually when you don't even see an audience or know that there's an audience or you're pre-recording it. And I miss my fans. I miss seeing the sweat dripping down the walls. I miss seeing people out of breath. I miss seeing people twerking on stage with me. I miss people, the lines down the street. I just miss all of it. And the energy in the room is what I miss the most because we feed off of energy. We react off of energy when we're in the moment. Like me and my dancers, we catch the spirit when we see our fans catch the spirit. You know, we go even harder when we see them going harder. We come up with little gimmicks when we see them coming up with gimmicks. So it's a back and (laughs) forward thing. We feed off of each other energy. And I can't wait to get back on tour. I was supposed to go on tour with Kesha just recently this year. Hopefully we still do the tour in 2021. But it's nothing like a live audience. Can you tell us about your mom? You had such a, the book is dedicated to your mom. She was my biggest cheerleader. She had my back with whatever I wanted to do. She, you know, she fought for me. She came to my rescue for whatever I wanted to do. If I wanted to go on a trip with the choir, she made a way. If I wanted to do something for the school, she made a way. She just always tried to figure out how can she help me and support me. And she was my biggest supporter. And like I said, once she accepted me and really started to put her arms of protection around me and her love, It was just unconditional. She went far and over and beyond for me and my brother and my sister. Her motherly, unconditional love was what I needed to get me through because I really faced some tough moments growing up being Black and gay and in New Orleans and not being so accepted in the 70s and the 80s when I grew up. And for her to be there to nourish me through it all was the best feeling of a mother and son could have. The other thing I really appreciate about the portrait you kind of paint of your mother in the biography is that she's complicated. There's a phrase you use where it's like, I think she's, she was constantly changing the rules, right? Or like the rules would kind of get renegotiated. She always 100% supports you. But it's like, can you talk about what it's like to, I just love that because I feel like so many times we tend to just lionize our moms. And I think that you treat, she's like a real human being with like real complexity. Yes, she was a Libra. So she, her balance, Same. <laughs> you know, the, sometimes the balance would not be there. You know, yeah. one minute she would <laughs> tell you where to get off at and then she'll come right back and love you, you know. And that just was the way she was. She spoke what was on her mind. She didn't give a shit what she told nobody. She was a little woman with a powerful mouth. And I get some of my spark from her when it comes to that. And She was a diva. She dressed well. She spoke well. She didn't take no shit. She didn't play. She told you where to get off at. That was just my mama. And everybody knew her for it. You know, even if you was her client and you didn't like something, she told you where to get off right (laughs) while you were sitting in her chair. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom has passed, right? Yes. How have you grieved her? How have you grieved her loss? I don't grieve her. I celebrate her and remember Mm. the good times. And I try not to think about, 
you know, I miss her so much. I get really sad around holidays and her birthday and her dead anniversary. But I try to celebrate her as much as possible to keep letting her light shine through us, through me and my sibling, and to let her legacy continue to live on through us and to just keep on praising God for giving me my mom for so many years and being able to be there. And for her to see me explode to the world was a great feeling. You know, I got a chance to take her around and travel with me. She got to see me set the world Guinness record. She got to see me perform and come into my career. So I'm grateful for all the moments we share. And I try to remember her in those good moments. That's nice to hear. I think that's going to be nice to hear for a lot of people right now to celebrate the time that you had, right? Yeah, Yeah. you celebrate, you know, because grieving and mourning, it will take you down. It can take you to a very dark and sad place that sometimes is hard for people to come out of. And I try to, for her birthday, we go and put flowers on her grave, but we celebrate it. We play all the music that she likes to listen to. We might get a cake and everybody come over and we talk about all the fun times we had with her and how she would tell your ass to get off, where to get off at. And, you know, we just, we were reminisce on all the good laughing times. We would look at pictures and all the fun times and say, well, what, you know, and I can cook like my mom. So it brings back a lot of memories for my family. They over here every holiday. I mean, I'm the family cook. And so. (laughs) Do you like it? I love it because it gives me a chance to keep my family connected and Mm -hmm. it gives us a chance to celebrate together and be happy together. And also just bringing back the tradition that our mom and my aunt and my grandmothers that they instilled in us because they all used to do the same thing where they was the big mamas. And now I'm kind of the big mama of the of the family. And to be such a right in the middle of all of the generations and trying to keep them balanced and together. It's quite a job. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, recorded remotely. We've been speaking with Big Frida, author of God Save the Queen Diva. We'll return to that conversation in just a moment, but first we have this week's book recommendation. We have Casey Lehman on the line with us today. Casey is the author of the novel Long Division, the memoir Heavy, and more recently, a reissued collection of essays called How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. And Casey is joining us to give us a book recommendation. What book are you going to recommend, Casey? I think I want to recommend I Don't Like the Blues by B. Brian Foster. It's just incredible book, sort of ethnography book, but it's a book where B. Brian Foster, Black Mississippian, goes to the Mississippi Delta, and he really talks to like the people who made home home for him about the blues. And he sort of like bursts these notions of like blues just being like this art form that is part and parcel of what like all Black Southerners and Black folk from the Delta love. But it's just like incredible. He does this incredible thing like using like the backbeat, what he calls his backbeat theory. I was just incredibly impressed. It just came out. Uh, I don't like the blues. Be Brian Foster. That's what I'm thinking about right now. And you write a little bit about music too. And you write a little bit about the blues in the collection of essays. What's your feeling about the blues? Um, I think it's complicated. I mean, I do like Mm -hmm. them, but like growing up, I didn't love them because my mama and her boyfriend and loved it, you know, like it were generation apart from me. But, you know, in terms of like a blues epistemology, a blues aesthetic, like I like that is part and parcel of like who I want to be as a writer. 
But the actual blues is just so more, so much more complicated than the question of do you like it, which is what I learned from I don't like the blues. But like, do I like it? I don't know if I like it, but I love it, you know, and I think it loves me. And, and that's what I think B. Brian Foster like led me to. Good answer. All right. Will you tell us the title of the book again and the author? Yeah. The title of the book is I Don't Like the Blues by B. Brian Foster. Thanks so much, Casey. Thank you. We were just talking to Casey Lehman. His latest book is a collection of essays, How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We now return to our conversation with Big Frida, author of God Save the Queen Diva. Your influence has been like so vast. I mean, I was thinking, for example, this morning that it's like without Frida, it would we have had a performer like Megan the Stallion. I guess the the thing that I'm trying to get at is that like Bounce went from, as you say, like it's it was an underground New Orleans thing. I mean, there's different flavors was a bounce, I get that. But that like New Orleans bounce was its own thing and it was very much an intimate local scene. And now I see that largely through your being catapulted onto the national stage. Yeah. It's like not just the trigger man beat kind of you see here and there, but then it's also like the whole vibe of it and the the feel and the intensity is yeah. saturated in pop music. And so how do you feel about that or how do you think about I mean, it? You know, it's I'm happy that it is definitely spreading throughout the world. You know, that's what I work so hard for, to get the, the culture of bounce music and, and New Orleans out there. You know, my thing is just give respect when respect is due. And, you know, yep. let's, let's put it where, where it's supposed to be. Let's just categorize it in the right way and let them know, though, I've been out there grinding for the last 10 years putting the culture of, of bounce music and twerking on the map, you know, setting the bar, traveling from countries to states to cities, you know, little alleyways, little stages everywhere, <laughs> making people twerk. And I just want to be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor. But I'm, I'm enjoying seeing it getting all around the world and people borrowing from the sound. But, you know, I just don't want them to forget the where it comes from and... Mm-hmm who helped put it on the map. So in your book, you talk about your friends and the community that started Bounds. Can you tell us about that? Like, how did it all, how did it sort of start? How did it come together? Well, you know, it was around way before my, before I started it. But, mm. you know, when my friend Katie Ray came out in 1998, which was the first trans to come out with bounce music, it changed the game. Everybody' head was messed up. Oh, they got a, a gay guy in the game. You know, this about to be some shit, and it's about to turn this way and that way. And we just got a lot of slack behind it, but mm-hmm. we also got a lot of people, the girls, who loved it and accepted it. You know, we already had girls in our different neighborhoods who loved it, the music, who loved it, us, who were our friends. Let's say our little own little personal armies of girls who was already digging what we was doing and, and the, the sound. And once we decided to, you know, when Katie came out, you know, we were already friends. Katie need help people to support her. Like we talked about support system. So me and my friend Addie, you know, we were friends with Katie already. Addie introduced me to Katie years before that. 
we all started to help Katie. We went to studio recordings and, you know, we were background her on different songs. I was thought to background her in different shows and perform with her and dance and all of that. And then when I came with my project in 2000, it kind of gave me my own space in the game and, and gave me a name. And people started to recognize my music and my sound. And then we started to do stuff together, you know, even more. Like we made songs together. We performed together. We had the Big Freddie K. Ready combo package, you know. So we started to travel all around New Orleans, all type of different little out places on the outskirts of New Orleans. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. They had other gay guys that jumped in the game now. And you got some over here that jumped in the game now. So it became this big old thing. And, and it kind of just had its own lane and we took it and we ran with it and we kept it going. And throughout it all, I never stopped. I never gave up. I never took a break. I continued to make music, continue to put stuff out, continue to grind at all the clubs, continue to make people, you know, keep my name hot and relevant and doing so, you know, that's how I become to get the title. Just, Constant work, constant grind, constant, you know, recordings, constant everything. It just was, it never stopped for me. The other thing is you're speaking that I'm thinking about is that, yeah, like when you, I mean, certainly as you say, when Katie Red came out, like having a trans performer that's like, is the central act, that was groundbreaking. And the same thing with like both of you as kind of like queer icons, especially in like major music business, playing with, you know, not playing with gender, but I mean, you know, like not doing the standard thing that everybody was doing. Right. And now, you know, you have big stars. Like I was thinking about, I was joking with my husband recently that like, um, you know, Bad Bunny now appears in dresses. We got Harry Styles up in a dress, you know, all these kind of things. And I guess I'm wondering, like, as somebody who kind of went through that period from 2000 to now of like the kind of gains. But also what I'd want to point out is that there are a lot of people still vulnerable, like a lot of particularly black trans women, right, um, are vulnerable to violence. So there's like, it's one thing, right, for like Harry Styles can wear a dress and whatever that's cute for him is fine. Everybody's into it. But, you know, kind of, so what do you think about how you've seen gains and what do you still want to see more of? Well, you know, I think that we gain just, you know, over time, we gain the respect that, you know, we're here to stay and that we're not going anywhere. And people started to learn to be comfortable with us and our space. You know, it Mm -hmm. took a while for that to happen in New Orleans. It wasn't overnight. It took years. Yeah. It took lots of, you know, fighting. It took lots of talking to people. It took lots of, you know, community efforts. And over time, I think we gained their love and respect. You know, you got to give respect in order to get respect. And and I think, you know, over time, it took people, you know, day by day to to see that we are human beings and we can be loved the same and we're equal. And I think that we still have some room to grow as well. You know, there are still young-minded people that's going to keep coming into the world that is not knowledgeable of the LGBTQ community and Mm -hmm. that will not respect the LGBTQ community and will do things to harm people of the LGBT community. We're going to keep having assholes that's out there that just don't get it and they won't get it. And 
we have to keep on educating. We have to keep on, you know, protecting our trans women. We have to keep on protecting everybody in the LGBT community. We have to keep making awareness. You know, we are very much more visible now these days than ever before. Like I didn't used to see a lot of gay people on TV. You, you, we only was familiar with what RuPaul mostly, but now you see, you know, gays all over on all type of TV shows, talk shows in the background, hairdressers, makeup, you know, you just see us all over. And people know now that we have our own community and that we're going to stand up and we're going to fight and we're not taking, you know, just anything these days. So we still have room to grow though, as time go on. Um, but I also think that as generations to come, we still will have people that just don't get it. Frida, what's next for you? What are you working on? So the new Christmas EP is dropping on this Sunday. Oh, I shit. Dropped, yes, I just dropped a new single on yesterday with Flo Millie called Better Be and just hoping for a better Christmas and a better, you know, next year and, you know, all the things that I hope are better and that will be there for Christmas. Mm. The songs is really dope. The tracks are are hot. I'm spitting bars, you know, on this whole project and I'm excited about that. So I'm just, um, I'm happy, you know, I'm going to bring some holiday joy to people's homes. I have also my cookbook that I'm working on for 2021 along with my restaurant. So I got a lot in the works right now. And um, yeah, I'm steady been, you know, I've been recording the whole pandemic. So I have an EP already ready for next year. So I'm ready. I got a lot to look in. Where do you find the energy? Because I know Frida is a human being. She may be a queen diva, but she is a human being (laughs) at the end of the day. Yeah. So where do you summon the energy? I I, I got to get my beauty wraps. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm inspired by the things that I want to do, though, and the accomplishments Mm. that I'm trying to reach and the goals that I have set. So each day that I set a new goal, it gives me more energy to continue to want to move forward. I can't set goals and sit on my ass. I got to keep on busting my ass to make it happen. And hard work pays off. And that's that's just always been the name of the game. And in order to, you know, play harder, you got to work harder. So the diva have to keep on working harder so that I can play harder. <laughs> I hear that. That's great. <laughs> Wait, what are you what are you going to cook for everybody this Christmas? I mean, we're going to have a little bit of everything. Ham, Turkey rolls, gumbo, mac and cheese, cornbread dressing, bell peppers, potato salad, candy yams, sweet peas, maybe string beans. I mean, girl, it goes down. (laughs) It goes down after the house. It's like, I told you, I'm the big mama. So it's a big mama spread. You got to have the table filled, baby. Don't leave the spot open. (laughs) All right. That's how I wanted it to end. I wanted everybody to get hungry. That sounds great. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. I appreciate y'all so much. Happy holidays. Until next time, you already know. (laughs) Thank you. That's awesome, Frida. Thank you, Frida. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happy holidays. Same to you. You've been listening to our conversation with Big Frida, author of God Save the Queen Diva. Thanks for listening to the LARB Radio Hour. 
Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. That will help us get the word out, and we'd love to hear from you. The producers of the LARB Radio Hour are Medea Ocher, Kate Wolf, and Eric Newman. The executive producer is Alan Minsky. Our sound engineer is William Broughton. Editorial production by Jake Levins. Our intro music was written and performed by Imogen Teasley-Vlotton. The publisher and editor-in-chief of the LA Review of Books is Tom Lutz.